Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 71. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft podcast. Uh, Christopher and I are coming to you today from a remote campsite on a river in Arusta County, Maine, where we are... Uh, enjoying right now you may in the background be able to hear the crackle of the campfire and some birds singing and maybe later you'll be entertained by the nature sounds of a rare feller buncher uh, <laughs> attacking the woods about a mile from here they started at 3 30 this morning 3 30 a.m that guy's workday starts yeah. and then he quits at 7 30 yeah. so i don't know what those hours are it's not third shift it's some kind of wacky fifth shift um <laughs> yeah it's a really pleasant thing to wake up to is a yeah for those of you who don't know a feller buncher is a big machine that has replaced things like chainsaws and skitters in the logging industry where one guy will go it's got a big arm it reaches out grabs the tree cuts it off at the bottom limbs it and stacks a whole it's bunch it's a of giant them. killer robot but it can go super fast. If they had one of those in the Transformer movies like I don't even think Marky Mark could have stopped No, them. no way. I mean Marky Mark would have done a you know a, a heck of a job yeah. but i don't think yeah. he could have done it well you can't compete with a, a giant saw blade that also speaks in a northern Maine accent right <laughs> you just can't beat it so what are we doing here we're at the end of our final trip for the spring 2019 wilderness bushcraft semester we've been out for eight Nine days, eight nine days, nine days, nine days. Um, and we like to finish with a culminating event, and that culminating event for the students is the solo. Yeah, they're doing that right now. Uh, so they're out on the solo, which is why we're here with so much time to kill. Um, you know, hanging around camp. Uh, we do solos where students go out, obviously on their own. Um, and then we maintain, before we send them out, we make sure they know exactly where we are, where camp is. So if there's ever an accident or an injury, they can come back. They're not too far away. And we have a pretty good, pretty good idea where everybody is. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year, it was good that yep. we were like that because uh, we were in camp. Christopher, Ben, and I were, were in the same spot. And we looked upriver and we see a student floating down river with no canoe. No PFD. No PFD. No canoe. But he had a but pole. He did have a pole. He had his canoe pole oh. and he's floating down river. And we're like, oh, I don't know what to make of this. Yeah. But he had been carving and somehow managed to impale his knife into his lower leg. 
Yep. Um, so we rendered first yeah. aid and, and not bad, not just super enough, bad, but but that's what we tell people is you know even if it's just a little nick, come back, let us look at it, make sure yeah it's not a big deal. Little cuts when managed don't turn into big disasters, yeah. and I think that's an important yeah thing to do. So we're here. We've got they've been out for two nights. They have one more night. Mm-hmm. Um, it is what is it? It's eight thirty in the morning, Tuesday, the twenty fifth of June. I know you were up at. I was up at three thirty here, and that feller bunch of guys start his day, and yep. I think you had you had coffee on at five, and yep. we've we've pretty much exhausted every topic that we can discuss with one another. Yeah, so agreed. We're like, let's do something, and we decided a podcast. Yeah. And as we were getting ready for a podcast, the rabbits decide or a hare rather decided that my tent looked very interesting and was trying to find a way in i imagine it's bug free and he's trying to get away from all his kids yeah this is the time of year when the snowshoe hares have recently had all their babies and they're out in different spots in the landscape so like when it's legal to hunt them in the late fall and winter you know it's hard to see them but now they're just these harried parents who never get any rest and i've had one come out i was sitting down like on a bench and I had one run out of the woods and come over and literally sit on my shoe <laughs> that I was wearing for like five minutes looking around. I mean, you could make the argument that if he's sitting on my shoe, an owl wasn't going to kill him or whatever. Yeah. But I think he was just saying like, look, man, I haven't had any sleep in days. These kids are driving me nuts. Like, just kill me. Just if you want to just kill me right now. Just end it. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm so done. But this is the time of year around here. If you go around and you look under little logs and things, mm-hmm. you'll find these really cute little baby snowshoe hares. Leverets, right? Isn't that what they're called? Uh, I don't know. Young rabbits and hares or leverets. Um, but they're super cute. Yeah. And one year we had a guy find one and he put it in his po- shirt pocket and he's walking <laughs> around with it. It's hanging its head out. And it's just, they're just adorable. So the, it's... The, there is a difference between hares and rabbits. Right. Rabbits are born furless, blind, and basically latch on to the mom, and they're pretty defenseless for weeks. Hares, uh, snowshoe hares like we have here, are born covered in fur. They can run within an hour of being born. Um, so what the mom does is she will put them all in different spots around the landscape so if like a fox finds one he doesn't get all of them yeah right so right now because we just had this hair hanging around we're surrounded by little baby rabbits probably i can feel their beady little the most eyes com- comforting thing i've ever heard i can feel their beady little eyes surrounded staring at me. by baby rabbits <laughs> what a way to spend a morning yeah hairs hairs not rabbits we don't have rabbits up no. here apparently somebody said or one of the books says there's some down on the like in york county down on the coast near yeah. new hampshire but up here, it's just snowshoe hares. Um, yeah, so guys are out on solo, the, the culminating um, culminating experience. But we've had a great trip thus far. And, and I love end-of-the-semester trips yeah. as a, as a team-building exercise. You know, everybody comes together working against or working towards a common goal. Um you know, and just enjoying the beauty of the woods life with a grace and economy that's born of experience. Correct. You know, I think when people show up, it, it's a lot of... Um, show and tell? Show maybe? and tell. There's, there's a lot of inexperience. Yeah. But after nine weeks of working on it, you know, it's not a... There's no instruction needed. You know, we get to a campsite. Okay, we know what we need to do. Let's get a couple sticks of firewood and, yep. you know, fell them, bring them back, split them up. Um, and everybody just knows the drill and everybody just does it. And now is sort of enjoying the fruits of our labors. You know, we've got a real comfortable 
campsite. We've got all of our, all of our needs taken care of. And it's, it's just awesome. And then on the river, like for example, the other day, we had a long day, 17 miles. And guys are working hard. And, you know, we covered it pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's always interesting because when we start the course on our little half acre pond at the field school they guys are having trouble yeah. yeah they have trouble getting across that yeah <laughs> and then yeah and then the other day we did 13 of the 17 mile i mean admittedly big current um big tailwind but 13 miles in three and a half hours or so yeah about like that and that was the i don't know the the river has been really really good to us from an educational standpoint this trip um the first day we left sort of the the put in the lake that we camped on um, it, it started raining in the morning, and then by the time we got into camp, it was a a downpour. Yeah. Um, everybody was soaked, everybody was wet, and they got, like, a real chance to, you know, you were talking about them coming together as a, as a team, as a sort of a, a group that has to work together. And that was, you know, it took them, it took them 45 minutes to get a fire going. And yeah. then once it was, it was rip-roaring, and if you looked at everybody's faces, you know, it was just because we didn't help we stood back and we watched them learn how to do that you know they know this stuff by now and they know what to do and it's just seeing it seeing how challenging it actually is and then actually accomplishing it in real time was you could see it on everybody's faces a a really cool accomplishment and you know half of them they lit that fire and they didn't want to walk away from it partly because they were cold and wet (laughs) but but the other part of it just that it was just this thing that they just built and in really tough really challenging conditions Um, yeah we had already had an inch of rain everything was soaked uh and it was still coming down like crazy yeah and that was why we covered 13 miles in three and a half hours was because there's so much water in the river right now. yeah we got up to almost spring flood conditions and it's gorgeous it was awesome but it's a good point that you know i think a lot of modern education is all about information Mm -hmm. information and uh you know i think the information is the precursor to knowledge but they're not the same thing and then i think knowledge in action is wisdom so i think that the what they were demonstrating was wisdom about fire lighting in the rain because they you know it it wasn't it wasn't an abstract exercise it was really pouring rain everything was soaked and how do we get it done using all the information and tools we have at our disposal yeah and we have sort of a, a thing that we say up here is like always be five fires ahead right like always be and the thing that let him get it was that a student had packed away a bunch of really dry kindling and tinder that he had been using for friction fire. And he went and grabbed that. And, it, and it, yeah, and so I think that's hammered that home as well. That, like, yeah, it's totally doable to go out in the rain and grab a dead standing. But if, you, if you've planned ahead for that, it makes it so much easier. And I think that's the biggest thing that students should take away from stuff like this is that the preparation is everything as opposed to just being like, well, my skills are good enough that I can get by with i can get i can deal with anything no i'd rather plan ahead and know that it's going to work rather than like hope that what i know how to do works yeah and it also you know you've got to test yourself you've got to test those skills because if you're like oh i've read how to make a wet weather fire Mm -hmm. but you've never been out in a pouring soaking rain and done it that's not something you can rely on so you know we like to at the field school during the semester course on a, if there's ever a really rainy morning students can usually be assured that we're going to do wet weather fire mm-hmm. practice that day because every time you do it you get a little better at it and you build more of a knowledge base um you know and this was these were really challenging conditions that yeah. we were facing so yeah. 
makes it makes it really interesting. Uh, and I think that's the path to really knowing is is continued yeah. practice over and over again. Yeah, and having done, um, yeah, I mean, teaching paddling, we have students all the time that want like a, a really well-worded explanation of how to paddle straight. And what we always tell them is it's just miles. You got to put in miles and you got to play with it. And, you know, this course in particular, we had students that really wanted um, us to break it down for them. And then what really made them get it was us saying, okay, we're going to do six miles today. You guys are going to go out and do six miles today on your own paddling around a lake. And by the end of that day, like stuff clicked, like they just, you know, everything starts to make sense once you've put in, put in the work to do it rather than just relying on. Yeah. Like you said, like having read about it or heard about it or watched a, you know, heard a a whiteboard presentation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had a, uh, athletic coach in high school he had a great line he always says don't wish for it work for it yeah agreed and the idea of you know sitting around the fire talking about i want to get better at canoeing is not the way to get better at canoeing no (laughs) No. you know and i'll i'm been known for years to say it takes 100 miles to learn how to paddle a canoe and Mm -hmm. about 95 miles to learn how to pull one but you notice in that explanation there's no description of how many hours you need to sit around a campfire and talk about how you want to get better at it yeah of course that the you know the the path to mastery is always action um obviously there's some reflection in there as well but you know you got to go do it put in the work put in the hours put in the miles um one of the things these guys have really excelled at we have i think all but one of the students on the current semester are just about done with the journeyman yeah they're certification they're knocking out the last few things while they're out there um and i know the last one they have to do 25 bow drill fires in in increasing difficulty like the first five you can make a set in camp um but you know pretty pretty dry it but now we're at the point where they have to go in the woods and make a set from something they find in the woods Mm -hmm. um and then the very last one which people were working on the other day is to use all natural cordage that you make yourself so you make the entire set the entire bow drill set so that's a neat thing because you know when you can do that uh you know and you can make an all natural bow drill from scratch with no modern cord you really are you know you've graduated to that level where you don't need man-made things to make a fire yeah absolutely and that's a pretty amazing it's a you know i remember the first time i did it it's just an amazing and empowering thing sure um so yeah we've got guys just on the cusp and it looks like they will uh you know they're they've got to do something for the two days they're out on yeah two and a half days they're out on solo so i know we can actually they're being way more productive than we are (laughs) we can hear them we can hear squeaky bow drills in the distance from time to time yep so it's it's a pretty neat thing yeah dude and then the last day uh the last official day of the course we have something called uh redemption island and i think we made that up based on survivor the tv I show i i try not to try to remember we based it off some goofy thing but so we do a series of <laughs> testing and practical exams throughout the course um and on redemption island day people can retest things that they have not been successful at previously and i know we've got a couple of canoe tests Mm -hmm. coming up with uh pulling and moving water and pulling in fast water that people need to redo on thursday but i think um i've 100 percent confidence that they're going to nail those tests and we should have a whole bunch of newly minted uh journeyman certification holders yeah it's a it's a challenging thing i mean all of the tests are challenging they're not made to be 
um, not made to be simple. We don't we don't want to pass people just because they've tried. We want them to really prove to us that you know that you could you could go out and you could be a guide or you could teach this to somebody. You have enough working knowledge that you can kind of diagnose why people aren't getting it and give them let them give them new things to try to fix whatever struggle they're having. But when they were practicing polling the other day, again, like we said, an inch of rain in what eight hours that river was moving fast and it yeah. was everybody swam practicing polling um swam means they dumped a boat yeah um. yeah I should, yeah i should yeah they dumped a boat uh a few of them multiple times just because yeah it's, it's one thing to to be like oh i can pull i've done this in you know five inches of water with no current and it was easy yeah but then you get in a big current and you're trying to go up it and that water if you don't get it right it's not going to play nice with you right and that's a that's a good thing uh, absolutely that's a it's that's a good thing. absolutely a good thing because so yeah the point of the testing is to prove that you know it you know yeah. prove that you've got this thing mastered yeah and there's you know mastery is a funny word there's always more to learn you can always get better you can always do bigger water mm-hmm. but you know the the basic skill set and being able to do the basic um strokes and maneuvers with the boat you know prove that you understand that and can and can replicate it yeah and in more and more challenging conditions i think that's that's the way to improve is to just get it get the knowledge base down and and easy stuff and then slowly do the do the exact same things but with the bigger current bigger winds all that stuff yeah the classic case is is we spent some time on the pond back at the field school doing canoe tea rescue or canoe mm-hmm. over canoe rescue so for example if someone flips a boat in the middle of a big lake or river if you have another boat how to get that boat save the people save the boat so yeah we do it on the pond the first day um and it's deep enough it's still a little bit of a challenge but that becomes more challenging not because you're adding extra things to the skill set it becomes more challenging when the conditions get more challenging so then we go out onto a lake a big lake on a windy day and here's something that you did on the pond and hey now it's really hard because boats are getting blown all over the yep. place like it's hard to get the get the canoe up to get the tee and get the other boat yeah. on there and if you don't uh guide people to hang on to the boat once the boat flips over mm-hmm. maybe you're a mile away because of the wind so so the the environmental conditions are everything and being able to adapt to them really demonstrates that people have achieved some sort of a deep deeper learning yeah and i mean and it, when we did that on the big lake that we put in on the other day um you know there's one one boat we you know we have one boat flip and then other people come and rescue them and they got them up and then the and boat, another boat and flipped. then another boat not flipped. on purpose not on purpose um <laughs> because yeah because you know i think I, what i saw was that a student stood up in deeper water and winds and hadn't totally settled themselves into being in the boat and was trying to move too quickly and just flip the other boat and so this one of our so students then we got had, multiple boats yeah. flipped and everybody's looking around wondering if we had concocted that yeah scheme. we had a student we had a student max turn back and look at us and, and it's the, he's kind of a quiet kid and um he turned around and asked us if we had told him to do it and we we're both in the we're both cackling like idiots because <laughs> we were watching it happen and he and we're telling him no and that's the heart that's the hardest i've seen him laugh the whole time he's been here because yeah. he just couldn't believe that it, it was happened. pretty funny and yeah perfect timing right? yeah of it course was perfect timing. but yeah it, it, the person who was still in a solo boat had to really push themselves to pull both of those butts both sub boats up quickly and i think that that was you know as funny as it was that was probably a great learning experience for him and managing the people managing the gear all that stuff yeah triage yeah for sure um yeah 
we love, I love getting out on the Allagash and some of the other, uh, you know, more popular routes. But for these trips uh, on the Wilderness Bushcraft semester, um, I love seeking out the lesser known and lesser used mm. routes, which is, you know, one of the, where we are now. We, what did we see? We saw two kayakers float by, but that's the only other people we've seen since we've been out yeah. here. In nine days, we saw two other people. That's pretty. It's pretty great. Pretty great. Um yeah, and the weather's just been epic. We had that one solid 24 hours of rain that brought everything up. And, you know, here it is late June, and we're still having nights in the 40s, and mm-hmm. all the bugs go to sleep. And, you know, when the sun comes out and it warms up, the bugs have been pretty fierce. Yeah. So it's been definitely the domain of the uh, the smudge pot. Yeah, we've got a smoky fire going while we're recording this, and a smudge pot sitting right next to it because they're already starting to wake up as, as it warms up. And a smudge pot is just an old metal coffee can that we punch some holes into and then we light a little twig fire in it and then put little green green boughs green grass green stuff in it and it just gives you a constant source of smoke so the beauty of a smudge pot is you don't have to wear all those horrible chemicals that'll make you grow a horn out of your forehead or your grandkids will i want one on my chest eat or something so instead of yeah instead of chemicals which are hard to replicate in the forest we use smoke to keep the bugs smoke and layers of clothing Mm -hmm. right long pants long sleeves and a big hat and that keeps the uh keeps the bugs at bay for the worst for the best uh for the most part the black flies will still land on you and crawl up and yeah and uh yeah so june in the northern Maine woods is a pretty rugged month just Mm -hmm. because of the bugs you know the as the weather gets nice and it's funny we have people say when uh early may when we're out here late april when there's still snow the on the ground <laughs> yeah it's cold and it. snowy and and then once the bugs come out they're like bring back the cold i get it i understand what you guys meant <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's pretty fun we're yeah. having a blast oh yeah and we're just christopher and i are just trying to figure out what are we going to do with our time today because we can't really go anywhere yeah in case somebody comes back so it's like lots of book time some nap time catching up on the rest that you lost Mm -hmm. throughout the semester um and then just being here you know for safety's sake uh another day so those guys come back tomorrow morning at 8 a.m we do a quick debrief around a smoky fire probably a big pot of strong coffee yeah and then we float out of the North Main Woods and head back to the field school. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, clean up, turn them loose. The big the big um, thing that still needs to be accomplished. Ooh-hoo-hoo. We have all these camp uh, challenges. Uh, camp records, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, most of them have to do with eating giant... All, all of gi- them. All of them have, all to, of do them have e- to do with eating incredibly insane amounts of food so we've got the iron spoon challenge which is uh currently held the current iron spoon holder uh rafe bowman rafe if you're listening to this we still hold you in high regard and children revere your name Mm -hmm. because he ate six and a half large ice creams from the quick stop too which is analogous to like i don't know a gallon and a half or something with a wooden spoon, just because that's how he, he is. His own. <laughs> because he didn't want it, he wanted to mess up the iron spoon challenge, so he made a wooden spoon and did it with that. So the big, the big noise is one of the guys on the course uh, at the Mexican restaurant in Presque Isle, Maine, mm-hmm. where people have gone for Taco Tuesday. Yeah. Mainly Mexican. Apparently, they have a four-pound burrito, and if you eat the whole thing in twenty minutes, you get a get your name on the wall or something and it's free and it's free so we've got at least one guy who's going in there i, I know that sounds like it's three of them three of them wednesday night yep <laughs> it's 
going to be a lot of <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot of food consumed. It's an interesting thing because the one who my money's on, Jeremy, is probably like maybe five feet tall. What did he say? He's down to like 130 pounds? 100, 127 pounds. 127 five pounds. feet tall. So he's and gonna, I have no doubt that he'll eat all four pounds of that. My question is he, he might try to eat two four-pound burritos and, and get his name in the Hall of Honor or whatever. <laughs> oh, he's going to be so ill. So we've got that going for us yeah. when we get back and we're pretty yeah. excited about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, last thing for today is we had a listener request recently um and the listener wanted to know about the challenge of maintaining relationships uh to coincide with sort of living the woods life and being out here and off the grid and away from home for so long and that's a really interesting topic um because it's one that we discuss constantly constantly off the record yeah um you know for me it's always been a challenge to be away from home so much the but everything's a trade-off right and yeah. i think that the the downside is that i'm away from home quite a bit the upside is that when i'm home i'm 100 percent present yeah so i'm able to have that you know big blocks of real quality time with my family um yeah and it's, it's sort of a in my experience like the communication part of it is everything i think that's the hardest part is like maintaining communication that isn't just like updating each other on like this i'm doing this all day like all day telling the other person what you're doing with you know phone or text or whatever like that's not what i mean but like actually communicating with a person in a way that you know you still they're still a part of your life rather than just like a i don't know something that's drawing you away from what you're doing and that I think that allows you to be more present in both places when it's not like a thing that's constantly nagging at the back of your head. Um, I, I'm not saying that that's easy to achieve, but I think that that's what makes it work. It is the hardest part, I think, of what we do up here, though. For sure. Is, is the, you know, the impact of being away, the impact on family. Yeah. Like, you know, for, for example, yesterday, uh, my daughter had a dance recital that I had really wanted to go to, but I'm, you know, I'm out here and I just didn't have the option to be there um so you know you miss out on certain things but but there's also you know those are the the curses but the benefits are you get to be out here doing something you love and when you're home you can be 100 percent present yeah and and you know when we say it's a challenge we don't just say that abstractly you know we've had two instructors and close friends of ours that you know they just they started to need that more in their lives and they went and did that and we're happy for them but it it is a hard thing to maintain that balance um and it's it's not a thing that you just do it once and then it's balanced it's every day you're kind of trying to uh weigh those scales correctly Um, it's an ongoing struggle yeah for sure doable but challenging but you were saying uh i just read one of the things that i seem to do just about every trip that we go on now is reread the book true north by seven thousand times you've read that book so yeah i just reread uh, true north yesterday by elliot merrick and if you've never read it it's an awesome book it is where elliot uh graduated from yale university worked for a couple years in the city and then decided he'd had enough moved to labrador and this was in 1930 i believe and I think it was his second year there. He was a school teacher. The second year there, he traveled up into the interior with the trappers. So they would pull up the Grand River in Labrador, a couple hundred miles, pull canoes up river, carry around the Grand Falls, or uh, 
there and then snowshoe toboggan trap subsistence hunt for a couple of months and then bring all their fur back so so the reason I bring this up number one is because it's a book that you should read because it's awesome but number two is that I think that the you know history wise people being separate from their families from their loved ones for long periods of time to go and work and do something it's been something that's been very common throughout history. Yeah. Figure people going to sea, people going joining the military, people going up into the woods to trap and hunt. Um, you know, people taking contract work and going somewhere away to to bring to send home the money. Um, has or been even, very common. Even going back to you know, sort of what I imagine Paleolithic times, where if your if your tribe lives on a, a herd of a certain species, like you're probably following that herd for weeks and months at a time like the traveling after the going after the spamalopes where they get the spam from yep those the spamalopes um and the uh the mephalos the meat fellows what is that buffaloes made out of meat what you've never had a meat fellow no no oh, well you're missing out man i've had buffalo wings mm-hmm didn't know they could fly well but... they they evolved out of that niche and lost their wings um and then they became the meat flows and they're just just a giant meatball on legs that sounds yeah. delicious but anyway so probably even back to like paleolithic times i would imagine um you know you were you were not always around and that was i think it's only recently that the the sort of constant connection um became the norm and i and you know for the person that asked like how do you maintain that the reality is like we don't really know either we're fig we're still figuring it out with sort of the advent of that ability to be constantly tethered to people um i but, definitely don't know what the hell i'm doing but technology has definitely made it easier yeah uh, i talk about um in when i finished my undergraduate degree and then i moved to alaska it was 1995 and I remember this for, I'll date myself, but there was no internet, at least for me. There was no email. Nobody had cell phones outside of the city, probably. And to call on the phone was like long distance rates, which was like a buck a minute. And Jeez. it cost a lot of money to call. So essentially you would write letters. And, yeah. and so I wrote letters, but I remember standing in the driveway and I gave, gave my mom and my dad a hug. And I said, all right, yeah. You know, and it was sort of like goodbye. Yeah, we are not going to be in constant contact. Um, you know, and it, compared to today, when uh, you know you can get a satellite phone and talk to anybody anywhere, anytime. Yep. Um, and even without a satellite phone, you know, most places have cell phone coverage, and you can do video chat and all that. So. I know one of the guys on the course now has young kids at home and he's video chatting with them every yeah, night to, yeah. you know, talk to daddy and whatnot. And uh, so it's, it's, their technology definitely makes it easier to kind yeah. of maintain those relationships. It's still difficult because you're still, you know, absent, yeah, physically absent, but, but it definitely makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And, it, and I think that's the part of it is that it's, is accepting that if, if it's something that you want to make work, it is work. Like, it's not something that you can sort of just let be in the background and think, oh, you know, I'll just, it'll all, I'll get back and everything will be exactly as I left it, like a snapshot. Like, no, it's a day-to-day -day kind of thing that you work at with friends or family or whoever it is that you're trying to maintain that relationship with. And it's never going to be cut and dry simple. It's always going to be something that you constantly have to maintain. And I think that that's if this if to the person that wrote if this is an industry you're thinking about getting into like know that that's that's the reality is that 
it's an extra bit of work you have to do every day and but that doesn't mean it's not absolutely worth it in my mind yeah and then the other side of it is you know we're sort of talking about all the challenges but the other side of it is that in working in this industry you meet a lot of other like-minded people that are drawn to living this way and you know i have friends that i met when i was a student we already mentioned him rafe bowman or you know ben and paul our former instructors and friends that you know i don't see them all the time but as soon as i'm as soon as we're around them it's like not it's like nothing really passed that relationship is solidified by being out doing things together and it, 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 i i found it's very hard to I think I'd have to work really hard to make any of those people not want to get together and have a beer or something, you know? And don't get me wrong, I could do it really easily. I have a few things in my head, but I'm not going to, because why would I ruin that? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, on that note. I'm thinking giant deadfall filled with ice cream for Rafe. Uh, ben, I'll put cookies in a pit filled with steaks. And Paul, I'm going to pull all the leaders off of his fly rods oh if if i ever decide that those relationships aren't one i want to maintain and there you have it (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i think we're gonna uh, maybe wrap this one up terrible note to end it on but but i love you guys i'm sorry (laughs) so if you found this podcast uh remotely useful please leave us a review or share it with somebody um, we're going to get back to doing nothing here the rest of the day. <laughs> nothing good anyway. And uh, probably go for a swim, maybe throw a few flies, see if we mm-hmm. can pull some trout out of the river. And hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you later. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.